Praise the Lord. How many of you brought your Bible with you? Well, hold up the Bible all over the building, and I want you to take your Bible, if you will, and join me tonight once again in the book of Galatians, chapter number 5, page number 1,247, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And I want to read some verses here just real fast. We're going to look at another word, or if I could say it like this, another flavor of the fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit longs to produce in our life. After this one, we have one more. And all God's people said amen. I know that. I get it. However, we got this one and one more as we talk about what the Holy Spirit longs to do in our life. Now, with that being said, listen to this. Here's our bus report for today. We had 331 riders on our church buses today. That is a great day. Boy, we appreciate all the hard work that went into that, and what a good crowd. 331 on the church buses today. The uh, West Winston route had 14. The Kernersville route had 15. The South Winston route had 36. One of the Spanish routes had 32. The King Rule Hall route had 40. Another Spanish route had 21. Mount Airy route had 26. The Murray Road route had 34. Another Spanish route had 30. The Pofftown route, 29. The Ogburn Station route, 28. Siloam uh, had 26. And you put all that together, 331 riders on our church buses today. What a good day. And I know we baptized one. Off the church buses, I'm sure there were some people that got saved off the buses, and God's been good to our church and give us a good, good day. And I appreciate that with all my heart. Thank you for all the children's church workers and all the folks who prepared the meal for all the, uh, the riders on the way back home today. I sure appreciate your hard work bringing people to the house of God. One thing we know about the house of God, God wants it to be full. Amen. Jesus said to go out in the highways and hedges, compel them to come in, that my house may be, yeah, full. God wants a full house. And so thank you for your hard work and endeavor in that today. Now, one thing real fast. At 6 o'clock, we got to go. However, just real fast, we need some bus drivers. Would you be an answer to the preacher's prayer? You know, Jesus said, Pray ye therefore, Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. But we need some folks, and, and it don't have to be every Sunday, but if you could just drive one Sunday a month, or uh, maybe if we had enough, we could just rotate it around. But we need some bus drivers, and I want you to know I'm praying for you. Would you be an answer to my prayer? Would you please just pray about it? Some of y'all have got those CDL license with that P endorsement. And we desperately need bus drivers right now. I'm going to ask you to be an answer to my prayer. Would you pray about being an answer to my prayer? I hope you will. We sure do need some bus drivers. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to go out and pick up folks and bring them to church. And Lord, you know we struggle in this area. Lord, one of the great struggles of our church is just trying to fill the seat, the driver's seat, and some of our church buses every Sunday morning. And Lord, there are people sitting in this room tonight that have got their CDLs with a P endorsement that could drive maybe just a Sunday a month or maybe just drive a morning a month or maybe an afternoon a month. But they could just fill that void, sit in that seat and bring little boys and girls to church so that they could hear about Jesus. Oh, on Judgment Day, what a blessing it would be to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and say, I drove a bus full of kids. To church. But God, I pray and I ask you to burden people's heart about that. 
God, deal with them about it because, Lord, we've got to have help. We really do. And I just pray that somebody in this room tonight would just be an answer to my prayer and step up to Brother David and say, look, I'll take a Sunday. I'll do what I can. Call me. Here's my number. Give me a call. I'll take a Sunday. I'll do what I can. Would you please impress that on some people's hearts tonight to help us that they might be an answer to prayer and more importantly, bring people to church so they can hear the gospel and be saved. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's read tonight Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, and then the word for tonight, meekness. Would you read that with me? Let's read together. Ready? But the fruit of the Spirit is That's the thing, the very thing the Holy Spirit longs to produce in our life. For several weeks now, I've been preaching a series of messages that I've entitled Fruitful Living. And the emphasis is on the word full because God wants you and me to be full of fruit because fruit in reality tells our story. Jesus said, by their fruits ye shall know them. And our fruit tells our story. You know, I can stand up all day long and tell you how much I love Jesus, but if the fruit hanging off the limbs of my life do not bear evidence to what I'm saying is true, then really my, my fruit speaks louder than my words do. By their fruits you shall know them. Hey, is there enough fruit in your life to convince people around you that you are a child of God? Well, the Holy Spirit who came into our life the very moment that we accepted Christ came into our life, took up his abode, and will live in our heart forever. But remember, he just doesn't want to be a resident in your life. The Holy Spirit longs to be a president in your life. You see, I've told you this before, but God loves you and me just the way we are. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad the Lord never gave up on you? And God loves you and God loves me just like we are. I remember years ago when they were painting, and I want to say it was Oliver Cromwell, or it was either Abraham Lincoln, and one, but he was having his portrait painted. And uh, when they got through, he, the, whichever one it was, the famous painter that was painting the portrait, uh, invited either Cromwell or Lincoln to come around and see what he had done. And uh, when, he had, when, they, when they saw the painting, they had left the wart. You know, Abraham Lincoln had a big wart on his face, and he'd left the wart off his face. And he said, Mr. President, what do you think about the painting? He said, well, truth of the matter is, he said, you've left my wart off, paint me wart and all. Aren't you glad God loves you in spite of your warts? Amen. Aren't you glad God loves you in spite of your past? Aren't you glad God loves you in spite of how great your sin has been? Aren't you glad the Bible said that where sin abounds, that grace doth much more abound? God loves us, warts and all. But I tell you this, bless your heart. Though he loves me with all my warts, he loves me too much to let me keep my warts. So once I become a child of God, he goes to work on my life con uh, uh, trying to, to uh, conform me into the image of God's own son. He loves me just the way I am, but he loves me too much to let me stay that way. 
So the moment I get saved, the Holy Spirit comes into my heart and he goes to work on me right away. And he works on us. And he works in us. And he works through us. And he works for us. And he has one holy desire for your life and my life. And that is to cause us to resemble the Lord Jesus Christ. I've told you this before, but God has only one begotten Son, the Lord Jesus. There is only one begotten Son, but then God wants all of the rest of His children to resemble His one and only begotten Son. Let me use Bible terminology. Look up on the screen, Romans 8, verse 29. God, the Holy Spirit, longs to conform us into the image. I told you before, that word image. We get our English word icon. He longs to conform us, to cause us to to become a representative or a little Jesus to resemble the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've told you what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life is to produce, uh, produce His fruit in our life. And that's what this text is all about. If we follow after the flesh, verse 19, verse 20, and verse 21, our life's going to be a mess. I'm telling you, you can't be happy and live in verse 19, 20, and 21. Who wants to live in all that drama? Who wants to live in that kind of a mess and that cesspool of life in verse 19, 20, and 21? You better quit following the flesh and start following after the Holy Spirit. And as we surrender our lives on a daily basis to the Holy Spirit, He longs to reproduce the life of Jesus within us. I've told you this before several times, but all we've got there in verse 22 and verse 23 is nothing more than a picture of Jesus. I mean, buddy, Jesus was all of that and so much more. And now the Holy Spirit longs to go to work on us and cause us to resemble Jesus. First of all, look up on the screens. There is love. Love. That's the charity of Jesus. There is joy. That's the cheerfulness of Jesus. There is peace. That is the calm of Jesus. There is long-suffering. That's the compassion of Jesus. There is gentleness. That's the care of Jesus. There is goodness. That is the character of Jesus. There is faithful or faith or faithfulness, the consistency of Jesus. And then tonight, we're going to come to understand that the Holy Spirit longs to produce within us meekness, and meekness is the consideration of Jesus. Now, what in the world is meekness? Well, I want to tell you what Jesus said about meekness. Here's what he said about it. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, it's too bad that the meek haven't already inherited the earth because I tell you, this unmeek crowd is killing us. Can I have an amen? Don't you look forward to the day when the meek is going to inherit the earth and then things are going to be different then when the meek inherit the earth. I have three simple things tonight I want to say about the flavor of the fruit. These are not nine fruits. They're nine different flavors of the one fruit that the Holy Spirit desires to produce in our life. So let's talk a little bit tonight on the subject of meekness. First of all, meekness, number one, is an attitude 
that we ought to emulate. It is an attitude. I mean, it ought to be a part of our life. We should emulate the attribute of meekness. Now, what is meekness? When the Bible mentions the word meekness and says, okay, the Holy Spirit wants us to be meek people, what in the world is that talking about? Now, I've got to tell you something. The Bible definition of the word meek is totally opposite of what the world's definition of the word meek is. You see, our world says meekness is weakness. Our world says that a meek person is a person that is easily run over, a person who is anemic, a person who is afraid of his own shadow. But let me tell you something, that's not the Bible definition of the word meekness. So let me just stop before we go any further. Let me tell you this fact about meekness in the Bible. There are only two people in our Bible who were said to be meek people. Only two. First one is a man by the name of Moses. The Bible said of Moses back in the book of Numbers, chapter 12 and verse number 3, Moses was very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. So we know, number one, right up front, that Moses was a meek man. Now let me, let me just ask you to stop and consider this man by the name of Moses for just a moment. And i got to tell you something. He wasn't a wimp. Can I tell you that Moses was not a wimp. Moses was not a weakling. Moses was not anemic. Moses was not afraid of his shadow. Let me tell you something about old Mose. Man, old Mose, on one occasion, he went out and there were some ladies that brought their, uh, their, their flocks out to water them. And while they were there, a bunch of shepherds come up to drive all those women away. In fact, did drive them away. But when Moses found out about it, he went over there and jumped on every one of those shepherds and whooped the fire out of them and then invited those women to come come back over and water their flocks once again. Now, I'll tell you something. Unless you've whooped the, fire, uh, whooped the fire of a pack of shepherds one day, you ain't got no reason to call Moses a weak man. No, sir. He was a strong man. He killed a man with his bare hands. He went out one day, and there was two Israel, Israelite, two Jewish men that were fighting together. On a day prior to that, an Egyptian man was smiting a Hebrew man, and Moses just picked him up and killed him with his bare hands. Let me tell you something. That's not a weak man who will kill another man with his bare hands. No, sir. Moses was not a weakling. May I just remind you that Moses walked into the palace in the land of Egypt with nothing more than a stutter and a stick. And he walked up to the most powerful, influential man in the world of that day and said, God told me to tell you, let my people go. He confronted the powers that be. And God used that meek man to bring the world's most mightiest empire to its very knees. It doesn't sound like he was too weak to me, friend. Don't you get the idea that meekness is weakness. The first man in our Bible that was said to be meek was Moses. But there's a second man in our Bible who said, who was said to be meek. Let me tell you who that was. It was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In fact, let me tell you why I know Jesus was a meek man. Because he said he was. That's why I know it. Look at these good verses right here. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am, say it. Jesus said he was a meek man. Can I tell you something? Jesus was no weakling. 
Jesus, buddy, I'm telling you, whatever, however this world may define weakness, may I just stop and say that Jesus was not that? Jesus was, was the most powerful man to have ever walked upon the face of this earth. I mean, when you read the four Gospels, we are constantly confronted with the power of the Lord Jesus. On one occasion, they sent some soldiers out to take Jesus, and they come up, and Jesus said, Whom seek ye? And they said, We seek Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said three words, I am he. And when he said that, those soldiers went flying back and fell on their back. Oh, I'm telling you, he was a powerful, a powerful man. He stepped out on the bows of a boat in a Category 5 hurricane, and that boat was rocking and rolling and about to go under, and Jesus stepped out on the bows of that boat after they woke him up out of sleep. Can you imagine sleeping through a Category 5 hurricane? and you in a boat, and he was on the back side of that boat asleep on a pillow. He hadn't taken a nerve pill, but he wasn't popping Tagamint and Maalox and Alka-Seltzer. I mean, he went to sleep in a storm, and when they woke him up, he stepped out on the bowels of that boat, and he said, Peace, be still. And those waves laid down like whoop pups, and the Bible said there was a great... Don't you tell me he's a weak man. I tell you what, one of the greatest pictures of Jesus is our Bible is that WWF picture of him. Yeah, everybody that laugh, watch his wrestling. You remember when he took that scourge and he walked into the house of God? They were trying to turn Church Street into Wall Street and they were trying to, uh, they were trying to make money and merchandise of people. They were selling stuff at high prices in the house of God. I'm telling you, it was a mess and Jesus saw all that going on. He got him a, a, a cord and he wrapped it together and he went in there and he said, you'll not make Church Street Wall Street and he drove that crowd and turned the tables over and whooped that crowd and ran them out of the house of God. Don't you tell me he was a weakling. Even when he went to the cross of Calvary, he took a beating like no man has ever been beaten. And yet he carried his own cross up Skull Hill, up Golgotha, carrying this cross. And then he hung on that cross for six excruciating hours. And then right before he died, the Bible said that he raised himself up and he cried with a loud voice, a strong voice, it is finished. That's not a picture of weakness, friend. That's a picture of power. But Jesus was a meek man. He was the masterpiece of meekness. In weakness, in, 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 in weakness he was a man of strength. In hypocrisy, he was a man of integrity. In sorrow, he was a man of comfort. In despair, he was a man of hope. In death, he was a man of life. Jesus wasn't afraid to stand up, and Jesus was not afraid to speak out. He was meekness personified. Now, what is meekness? Let me show you what meekness is. Let me say it like this. Meekness is power under control. Power under control. Let me tell you what's wrong with a lot of people in our day. They're out of control. They're out of control. Meekness is power under control. But let me say it. Let me take it one step further. Biblical definition of meekness. Meekness is power under God's control. It's when you and I submit every area of our life to the control of God. We give God every area of our life, our thought life, 
our, our, our talk, our, the words that we say, uh, whatever we do, and we give, every, we give God control over every aspect, every area of our lives. Meekness is an attribute that you and I should emulate. We need meekness. But not only is it an attribute that we should emulate, number two, meekness is an attitude that we should cultivate. Can I tell you something? Meekness is not an attitude that comes naturally. There's something about our sinful nature that won't allow us to be meek. I don't know about you, but I've got to feel like I'm in control. Do you? I mean, I've got to kind of feel like my hands are on the wheel, my feet are on the pedals, my eyes are on the road, and I'm in charge. Meekness doesn't come naturally. Meekness only comes supernaturally. It, you and I can only become meek as we yield ourselves to God. Can I tell you, this amazed me. You can check me out on this, but if you were to look up a synonym of the word meekness on uh, thesaurus.com, that's where I go all the time. So I said, where do you get them words that starts with them same letters? Thesaurus.com. But I typed in the word meekness, and it gives synonyms, but down down at the bottom, it gives antonyms. Synonyms are words that maybe don't sound alike, but they have a similar meaning. An antonym is a word that is completely opposite. Guess what word popped up as an antonym for meekness? Would you believe this? You can't make this stuff up, Brother Mark. Do we not live in an entitlement age? Hey, do we not live in a world today that is absolutely gone wild thinking that they're entitled to everything? And if you dare stand up and tell them they're not entitled to it, you're a racist, you're a bigot, you're a liar, you're, you're something, but you, you don't love people if you dare stand up and tell them, hey, you ain't entitled to everything, buddy. We live in a world today that has its hand out. Give me, give me, give me, give me. I am entitled to it. Hey, most people's prayer goes something like this. Our Father who art in Washington, hallowed be thy name. Bless your heart, I'm not looking at Washington to, Washington to pay my bills. I'm not dependent on, hey, by the way, I, I, I got my checks. I put them in the bank just like you probably did yours. But I don't depend on Joe Biden to pay my bills. If he wants to send me something once in a while, send on, buddy. I'll pay my tithe off of it and skip a new dial right on down the road. But I'm here to tell you I'm not looking to Washington for a handout. Hey, I'm not looking for welfare. If you need it, if you're handicapped and you got to have it, you get all you can. But bless God, if you can work, get up off your lazy backside and go to work and provide for the needs of your family and quit looking looking for an entitlement from the government. You're welcome. Yes, sir. The Bible talks about us working with our hands to provide for our needs. The Bible even says if a man won't work and he can work, let him starve. I tell you, bless your heart, if we'd, come out some, if we'd cut out some of this welfare handout stuff, it might drive some people back to finding a job and going to work. And if they work all day, they'll be too tired to come home and beat on their wife and their kids and run around all night, drink liquor and smoke weed and break into cars. If they work, they'd be too tired to do that. 
Amen, preacher. Entitlement age. God help me and you both to think that we're entitled to anything. I'll tell you what I'm entitled to. Hell. I ought to be in hell tonight with my back broke, frying like a piece of bacon. That's exactly what my entitlement is. That's where I ought to be. But thank God because of grace. Thank God because he didn't give up. Thank God because of mercy. I don't have to die and go to hell because God's good, friend. Yes, sir. By the way, the word meek. I thought about that word meek. It actually was used in the in the agricultural sense back in the day of Jesus when it comes to the breaking of a horse. You know, if here, here's, a, here's a horse, and he, he's a strong horse. He's a good horse. He's Mr. Ed. A horse is a horse, a horse, a horse. He's Mr. Ed. He's a good horse. But he's never been broke. Can I tell you something? He may be a good horse. He may have a strong back. Boy, he might could do a lot of work, carry a lot of labor, a lot of load. But until that boy gets broke, he's no good for nothing. Until he comes under the power of another, he has power out of control. But when that master steps in and he takes step to, steps to break that horse, that horse with so much potential can now use that potential in a good way because he's been broken or he has been meeked. Boy, I want to tell you, I'm glad God broke me one day. Hey, I ain't much. I ain't, ain't much of me here, but bless your heart. I'm glad God stepped in. I'm glad the Holy Ghost broke me one day. And now what little potential I have, God can use it to glorify and honor himself because I got meeked one day. You know, there's a lot of people in this world, they got great talent, but it's talent out of control because they can't be controlled because they've never been meeked. Can I tell you something? Jesus was a picture of power under control. Can I tell you something? When Jesus was on the cross, I mean, buddy, when he was hanging down on the cross, he had the power to stop the whole thing. He had the power, even before he got to the cross. That night when they come out, by the way, I appreciate, I've been, I don't know why this has been working in my heart recently, but it has. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord looked at his soldiers and said, sell what you have and go buy a sword. Let me put that in today's vernacular. Vernacular. Let me put that in today's binoculars. You better get your gun and take care of yourself. You say, preacher, what are you, are you telling us to get a gun? Everybody in here has already got one. I'm telling y'all, if anybody ever walks in here and starts trouble, and, 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 and I mean, it gets just duck. That's going to be a crossfire in this room <laughs> like I ain't never been before around here. I got good news. Hey, just duck. Crawl out of here on your belly. Get out of here because it's going to be on like Donkey Kong in here. If we had a metal detector set up for those doors out front, it'd blow up. Jesus said, sell what you got and buy a sword. Today's language, Jesus would say, protect yourself. Arm yourself. There's not a thing in the world wrong. I don't know why I got off on this, but entitlement. 
But there's not a thing in the world wrong with you going out and getting a gun to protect your family, two or three guns, buying up some ammunition, getting whatever you need. I'm not talking about going robbing liquor stores. I'm not talking about going out and killing people. But you better arm yourself to protect your family in these days. Amen. I've told my wife before, and she packed seed, but I done told her, if anybody's trying to come into our house, and they're beating on that door, and you're screaming at them, don't you come in, you go away, get out from here, I've called the police, and they continue trying to come in, shoot door, shoot window, shoot them, we'll drag them in the house, we'll lie about it, whatever we got to do, don't worry about it, but you better arm yourself. Amen. Boy, I hope we don't have to kill nobody tonight. <laughs> have mercy, Lord. What was we preaching about now? Oh, yeah, tithing, getting back on tithing now. Jesus, when he was on the cross, he was power. He was power. I mean, he had the ability to stop the whole thing, but it was power under control. I mean, buddy, he could have summoned the angels down from heaven to come, get him off the cross, stomp high, stomp flat the high hills of Judea, call the whole thing off, march straight to Armageddon, and every last one of us be condemned forever and ever. But he was power under control. He submitted that power to the, to the authority of God in his life. And he hung there on that cross. And he died in your place and in my place. And he didn't call the angels. I'll tell you why. Because he loved you. And he loved me. And he was power. But it was under control. Uh, boy, it ought to be a, an attitude that we ought to cultivate. While everybody else is losing their head, we ought to keep ours. And last of all, number three. Meekness is an action that we ought to demonstrate. And I'm done. So let me throw this at you and let's go. There are three things in the Bible that we're told to do with meekness. Three things in the Bible that we're told to do in a meek manner. First of all, with a meek attitude. First of all, number one, we are to share our faith with meekness. Look at this verse right here. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. How do you do it? With meekness. When we come to talk to people about being saved, and I preached about that this morning, getting a burden and telling people, we don't do that with an arrogant attitude. We don't look at them like they're beneath us. They're lower than us. I know their life may be messed up. I know they may be in a terrible fix and everything that can go wrong has gone wrong and they're on their fifth marriage and, and uh, they've been in uh, detox and, uh, and uh, they're, uh, they're a member, charter members of AA and now, I mean, they've got all kinds of problems going on. But can I just stop and tell you, but for the grace of God, that could be you. That could be me. So when we tell them about our faith, when they ask us, why are you different? Preached about it this morning. What's different about you? I noticed something, there's something different. How do we respond? 
We sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and we're ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope. Oh, I'm glad I got hope. Hey, I'm glad I got hope. Hey, I'm glad I got hope. Hey, the word hope in the Bible doesn't mean like, man, I hope it don't rain tonight. The word hope in the Bible means a guaranteed assurance and I'm glad I got hope. I know there's something better waiting for me on the other side. I'm glad I got hope. And when I share that hope, I do it with meekness and with fear. Share faith with meekness. Number two, look at this. We salvage the fallen with meekness. We all know people in here that have fallen. We all do, don't we? We all know people that at one time lived for God and they no longer live for God. They got caught up in some kind of sin in their life. We all know folks like that. Look at this verse right here. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of, there it is again, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Can I say this? There ought to be no joy in Mudville when mighty Casey strikes out. This old attitude that a lot of people have got, well, I knew there wasn't nothing to them to start with. I expected that to happen. I can see through them to start with. Frank, can I tell you something? You can't see through nobody. And I can't see through nobody either. And when somebody messes up, boy, we ought to have an attitude. First of all, go in the closet, get on your knees and do what that verse said. Thank God that it hadn't been you. Hey, when somebody gets caught up or somebody's children gets messed up in sin, instead of having an old high, holy brow attitude about all that hypercritical, hypocritical attitude, I'll tell you what, that shows there ain't nothing about them no way. No, 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 listen. Let me use a good Bible word. Shut up! And go in the closet and thank God it hadn't happened to your young'uns. Because your young'uns is made out of the same thing everybody else's young'uns is made out of. And we ought to just say, shh, shh, shh. Don't call people. Don't, don't broadcast it. Get in the closet. Thank God it hadn't happened to you because that verse said you could, it could have happened to you. It could have happened to your kids. They could have messed up. It could have, you could have messed up. I could have messed up. So when somebody falls, instead of with a judgmental attitude, looking down our noses at them, we ought to reach out with meekness. Reach down there to where they're falling. Say, here, give me your hand. I want to help you back up again. Amen. We share the faith. We salvage the fallen. But then look at this. We surrender to the Father with meekness. Let me show you a good verse. Look at this one. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness. Boy, that's a good verse. Anything that's filthy, don't have anything to do with it. Lay apart, lay aside anything that's filthy. And superfluity of naughtiness. That word superfluity, that means overflowing. It's like a cup and it's full and it's running down the sides of it. Stay away from that. Uh, lay apart filthiness, superfluity. And then it says this, and receive with, what's the next word? The engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. When we come to church and the preacher, whoever it may be, and by the way, while I'm right here, can I just say, don't get caught up in styles of preaching. Don't get caught up in all that stuff. Listen, one preacher may preach in a shotgun style. It's like... Another guy made us get up here with a Bible and say, open your Bible. And 
I'm going to read some verses here tonight. I'd like to make a few comments about. Can I tell you something? Listen, if that guy with a shotgun or that guy that just gets up and stands behind the pulpit, if they're preaching the Bible, it's the Word of God. And we need to receive it with meekness. Don't get mad about it. When the preacher preaches and he starts preaching against things that maybe you're doing or maybe things he's doing, and, and you start preaching and calling stuff out, man, don't get mad about it. Don't say, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go find me another church. Well, you go and find you another church if that's what you want to do. But I pray that preacher will preach harder over and over there than they do over here. But how, what do we do when the preacher gets up and he starts preaching? We receive it with meekness. You know why? It'll save our lives. If we'll listen to the Bible, no matter who's preaching it, no matter if he's a Peter, a hacker, open your Bible, <laughs> to 1 Peter chapter 3, <laughs> for God so loved the world. <laughs> okay. I personally like that kind of preaching. Before I die, I'm going to aha a sermon or two. But can I tell you something, man? Maybe he don't aha uh -huh, when he preaches. Maybe he just gets up and says what the Bible says. But it's the Word of God. And regardless of the style, it's not the style that God's blessing, it's the Word that God honors. Can I have an amen? So whether it's some guy's up here and he spits all over the first five rows or some guy don't even spit at all if he's preaching the Bible, respect it. Receive it with meekness. You know why? It'll change your life. It'll save you from destruction in your life. So I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. But let me tell you this. God can do anything with a meek person, but God can't do anything with anybody who's not meek. And the Holy Spirit wants to produce within us the meekness of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Word of God.